0: Welcome back to the show. My name is David Scales, and this is part three of On Boards with Dave Parmenter and Doug Fletcher today, as he'll be weighing in as our expert laminator. On Boards is a board building 101 series that we're releasing in four parts each Wednesday in October. I encourage you to go back and listen to parts one and two before proceeding with this episode in part one Parmenter gave us some social context and history regarding the advent of polyurethane foam for surfboard production the basic components of a surfboard construction various options on foam available for shapers In part two, he explained more about foam densities and cell structure, and why it's important to select the correct blank for a given design. He explained rocker, he discussed health concerns for shapers and laminators, and began to unpack the process of laminating, which we will get deep into in today's episode. And you're probably also aware that we're giving away uh, Channel Islands Rocket Wide this month, built-in SpineTech technology. Which is their EPS core with an embedded composite spine instead of a traditional stringer? It's designed to retain pop longer than a traditionally constructed surfboard. We do these giveaways as a thank you for listeners who support the show through financial donations. And this is the fourth board that we'll be giving away this year. Some listeners have recurring monthly donations set up via PayPal. Others are one-time donors. You can do that on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. And by the way, just check out our newly redesigned website while you're there. But anyway, all donations of any size received in the month of October will be entered to win the Rocket Wide from Channel Islands. I'll put all the names into an app which randomly generates a winner. I'll post that winner in my Instagram stories on November 1st. The board this month is generously provided by Channel Islands. It is their rocket-wide model built in spine tech. This board was R&D'd by the Godowskis brothers. Here's what Dane had to say. Quote, my brothers and I loved the speed and control we were feeling with the Rocket 9. And we wanted to see if CI shaper Mike Andrews could apply those levels of fun and performance to a board for small and gutless waves. The Rocket Wide features a wider tail block to skate across flat sections and a wider nose area to accommodate for better paddle power. It's a shorter, wider skate machine designed to lift the fun factor when the waves are not at their best. That said, the design is way more versatile than we ever imagined. Also, if you want some added magic, the Spine Tech built Rocket Wides up the ante performance-wise, end quote. I have a video of Dane and Tanner ripping on the board on our website. Check it out, and then definitely check out cisurfboards.com to see all the options and the specs for the rocket wide. Thank you. So, on boards part four. When Parmenor and I left off, he was walking me through the process of laminating a surfboard so the board has been shaped by the shaper the laminator has put the fiberglass cloth over the bottom of the board wrapped it around the rails and then saturated the cloth with a catalyzed resin which has been left to cure before laminating the deck so at this point we have the rails wrapped the bottom is laminated it's on the rack so what's holding the foam is what's touching the rack at this yeah, point, and, it, and the bottom is a hardened crust. Well, the
1: bottom is getting hard, and the yeah the deck it's decked down on the laminating racks, and they use fresh masking tape each time so that nothing mars the the finish of the finished polyurethane blank. When that board is hard enough to like touch it past the point of tackiness, it will either work on other ones or they'll flip it over and then they'll do the deck layers. And on, so, for most standard boards on the deck, according to their specifications or what you give them, there'll be two layers, basically of glass, layers of fiberglass on the deck. One of which can end maybe at the bottom of the rail or mid rail, and the other one will go all the way around and probably usually comes in about an inch on the bottom. So okay. you so you so you kind of feather those, that both those layers don't have the same lap, so they don't build up. Right um and then there's a science to that too like wider laps or how you space those effects the you know flex it affects like working with it later sanding it, it affects the strength and it's all
0: varies based on short board long board every kind of board design has a different protocol. yeah
1: i you, yes i i think but i think most people there i think most craftsmen in that uh, you know it's kind of funny they they've all learned how to do it and uh a lot of times it's hard to get them to try new things, but most of them think that they know how to do it and nobody else does. Sure. That's kind of we're like you, shapers. Shapers are the same way. Yeah. yeah, we're used to that.
0: Um, why are there two layers of fiberglass on the deck and only one on the bottom?
1: Well, you stand on the deck.
0: So, so it's a strength.
1: Yeah, it's there because um, that's where you do all your surfing. Ideally, it would be nice to have it balanced. You know, and you'll know, you see it as you start getting lighter cores uh, with using some of the polystyrene. You'll start to see more of a balance where people will do... You know, two or three layers of, of a lighter four ounce glass on the bottom, and maybe two or three layers on the deck. And uh, it makes sense to me. I'd like to, I mean, I would, all things being equal, it'd be nice to have a balance like that. Yeah. And the boards under load, Whether, regardless of what the core or what type of resin, it, it seems like it makes more sense when there's a lot of, if your board's tombstoning at the end of a leash on a giant day, you just think that that imbalance in how much of, a, of the glass layering on the bottom and the top is, might affect you.
0: Um obviously there's different types of foam for the core, mainly polyurethane and EPS. Is fiberglass the main type of cloth? Are there other types of cloth that are available?
1: Well, fiberglass yeah, fiberglass is a, is like a spun glass. But beyond that then you would you would have the same type of fiber composition but they'd be, you know, carbon fibers, you'd have Kevlar, a lot of those don't have applications in the kind of boards we, we use, except for in real exotic use, uses. You know, paddle boards maybe, and uh, outrigger canoes, things like that. But carbon fiber is very strong. It's very brittle, stiff. It's expensive. Um, Kevlar's are, are equally strong and stiff, but they're hard to work with, and they're, hard to s- they're definitely hard to sand. If you ever hit, like, Kevlar when you're sanding something, it just burrs on you. And so uh,
0: those are generally used in small, like, strips or whatever for strengthening, but as, like, an entire wrap for the sandwich construction we've been talking about, it's generally fiberglass?
1: For surfboards, for yeah. For surfboards. Yeah, it'd be a type of fiberglass. And uh,
0: What are the types of fiberglass?
1: The most common ones are e-glasses. They're, the like, the cheapest, simplest. They're easy to use. Then you have some other... Uh, like higher quality glasses that are like s-glass which has like believe a higher silica content and then they were kind of formulated for more aerospace uses i, I originally didn't really care for it much because people are ordering it for impact and compound strength when it's really more designed to like not tear or shear and but after using it a lot i found that it just it had a lot of really it's like an off-label drug that works for something else i've actually sold on how good, how stiff that, that cloth is. And I like it that it lays it down flat. So, so to, to, for the glass scheduling and scheduling, when someone says glass schedule, all it means a fancy way of saying just the layers, your glass layering, what your layering program is on it. And the, this is a thing that I get in all the time because people will say, I want a board it strong. Give me like nine ounce full on. And full on is like an older type of glass, you know, from the longboard era and it's, Uh, you know it's very dense it's heavy it just it holds a lot of resin and i tell them no it's more for like cosmetic use you will get more strength from two or three layers of a four ounce glass especially if it's a flat weave and not that beaded lenticular kind of shape that you see with a lot of yarns than you would with one layer of like a 10 ounce or something it's 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 exponentially stronger
0: it's like plywood basically yeah
1: it's a ply yeah so the when, and when someone says, like, well, this is a four ounce or a six ounce or a nine ounce, all that means is they're weighing the arbitrarily a type of fiberglass based on a one foot by one foot, you know, one square foot sample of that. Same with EPS foams, one pound is a, a cubic cube of what that foam is. That's what it would weigh. So
0: one square foot of six ounce cloth weighs six yeah.
1: ounces. Or so they say, right? I mean, <laughs> well,
0: I would think it would have to be pretty uh, precise. But
1: that's but that's what peep, that's what it is when you when you do that. But six ounce, for example, those the common glasses that are used in most production surfboards are be a, a four ounce and a six ounce or some combination thereof. Right. So one layer on the bottom,
0: two layers on the two
1: deck. on the yeah, like a classic like travel board schedule would be a, a six and a four on the deck and a six on the bottom. This is fine, but. There are other types of glass that, like flat weaves, that don't have that, like I said, that beaded kind of, help. you know, you look at a fiberglass and it stands up a little bit more, it holds more resin. The, they have these other ones that are flatter weaves that are going to give you, when you put them together and laminate them, you're going to get more cloth, more fiberglass cloth than you are resin, and that's what you want. So okay. I would think that most most of the boards that, if you're going and getting a, a longboard especially like a nice classic longboard or even a modern longboard or even a like a pro competitive model shortboard you want to make sure that your shaper is using the the density and manufacture of foam that is optimum for you not overshaping it if you choose a lighter board for performance then make sure he's picking the right blank so it's not and he's keeping some of the decks crust on and you were doing something more like maybe two layers of four-ounce s glass on the deck, s-glass on the deck, and one layer of s-four-ounce s on the bottom, and it costs a little bit more money. But you're you're putting all that money into the skin, not just in a resin that allegedly has more cachet, you know, like an right. epoxy or something like that, it's stronger, because it's the glass that in the bond to the material. You referred
0: to e-glass as being less expensive S glass being more expensive, better quality. Do you know what defines that quality is one, like a tighter weave or more like a higher thread count, essentially? Yeah.
1: Kind of like that because also it also there's the weave runs in a lot of glasses. It runs one way and they have a glass (laughs) called work glass that you probably heard of. That's where the weave is kind of, it goes, you know, it's bi-directional. It goes both ways. So, you know, surfboards are, they, they flex like on different, axes right like it's cross-torsional like they don't just they they can twist they can so it's kind of makes sense yeah. that you'd want a fiberglass cloth that has strength sideways and lengthwise of course and you and usually you pay more for it. the e-glasses are available they're easy to use um some some come some places the uh, roll widths like most people use maybe a 36 inch wide roll and if you need to do a stand-up board or a wider board you need to get a wider roll a lot of it's just availability
2: too
0: sure Quick interruption to introduce to you Doug Fletcher, better known simply as Fletch.
2: I started surfing in 1962, and and I pretty much knew right then that I wanted to do this, you know, just the first, day, first time I got a ding in my first surfboard, you know, I went to town fixing it myself, and then I fixed my friends' boards and ended up kind of being the guy everybody brought their boards to for free. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always starts. And then I would uh, start um, doing a little shaping, uh, doing a little glassing in my garage, you know. And I had a couple of friends. In fact, Greg Martz had mentioned a guy that he started the uh, Waterman's Guild with was Brian Ebert, and his nickname was Bosco Bear. He's pretty well-known in Southern California, I think. And he's passed away, but he was a good friend of mine from when we were kids. Oh, wow. And so he was... little younger than i but he was kind of he was in the industry so he was kind of a mentor to me too and he had that same attention to detail and quality comes first and he always drilled that into me just like greg did to him i'm sure so yeah um so i learned a lot from him and and little by little i just started doing more in my garage i would shop them around down south to the different glass shops to see if i could get them sanded you know because i didn't really have a place to do it and and I remember Lance Collins at Wave Tools was, he was pretty cool about it, you know? <laughs> you bring in this thing that didn't look that great, you know, and <laughs> you wanted to get it sanded, and he would do it and then critique it a little bit for me, so that was always pretty cool, and, and uh, I even do that today. People bring stuff in, and I always, like, help them, give them tips, whatever, you know, just because people did that for me. Sure. And, uh, and then I made the move to Santa Cruz in 83. Okay. And that was when I really started working in the industry. And I started working at Dug House and worked there for years and years, and it seemed like, and, uh, and then there was an opportunity to do my own thing, and I took that, and it was just kind of snowballed from there.
0: Fletch is the main man responsible for everything that happens after a surfboard is shaped at the Santa Cruz Board Builders Guild. You've heard me talk about the Waterman's Guild and how Dave Parmenter. Will drive his blanks 300 miles south to have them glassed at the Waterman's Guild, while the Santa Cruz Board Builders Guild is an equally reputable and equally well-known glassing facility for Northern California.
2: It is a contract glass shop. You know, it was I started out originally as just Doug Fletcher Enterprises, and I did it was a one-man band. That was that was after I would worked for Howe for all those years and stuff, and um, <clears throat> I did everything, all the steps. And then as I got busier and busier, I got Dave beach who's my partner. He came on to help me, and so it was just the two of us, and we were just doing clear, clear boards, clear short boards, and we could handle it, you know? We could do 20 a week and go surfing, you know? and But then, as the color work started to become more popular again, it became a whole other ball game, you know? So, I pretty much, I'd done color work over the years, but, in the last ten, I'd say, I really had to like relearn really? <laughs> stuff I learned and, and think back about everything people had taught me, you know, about doing it. And so it's it's been a learning curve too. But but we do get you know, we really pride ourselves on, on our quality. So there's so. a lot
0: of board builders. Are they not glassing their own boards? Are they? What? Where is kind of the?
2: Very few are actually shaping and glassing their own boards anymore the house the you know the factory here is one of the few places where they actually make them in the back and sell them in the front you know like used used to be everybody did that nobody does it anymore nobody does it so
0: and much less have a glassing facility in the back and
2: it's a whole you know it's like running multiple businesses you know you're a shaper you're trying to market your stuff and then you got to worry about glassing it too (laughs) it's You know, that's why I'm happy to be behind the scenes being the glasser because I don't have to worry about what's popular and, you know, I just do what people want.
0: Now, I should state that there are, of course, other reputable glassing facilities in California. I have friends at some of those, and I don't mean to suggest that these are the only two worth mentioning. However, these two facilities that I have been mentioning, Waterman's and, of course, Santa Cruz Board Builders Guild, have clients that drive hours to have their boards glassed here. And the key employees have over 40 years of experience each, which brings us to Fletch. Or, in fact, I should actually back up and start with the Santa Cruz Board Builders Guild. It's located at 345 Swift Street in Santa Cruz. It's an iconic address. It's the location of Hout Surf Shop and Hout Surfboards. And as Fletch mentioned, a throwback to the pioneer days of California surf shops, where there was retail in the front, shaping bays, and laminating rooms in the back. Often boards are curing out in the racks in the parking lot. The Hout Surf Shop still operates this way. In an age where retail is constricting, the Hout shop has made some big changes to stay modern. The day that I recorded this conversation with Fletch, the retail shop was in the midst of a remodel, and they had just installed a rack from Awayco, the surfboard rental service. Travis Reynolds has a shaping bay there, as does, of course, Doug Hout. Mark Andrini drives all the way down from Half Moon Bay each week to drop off shaped blanks and pickup boards finished by Fletch and his crew.
2: Well, we do all of Mark Andrini's, or, or not all of them, but most all of Mark Andrini's, which is are a pretty popular brand. Oh, yeah. And um, of course, Hout, he does, you know, he's right there. We do all his. Travis Reynolds, we do, do most of his stuff too. And we have a lot of, of smaller guys that just bring us, a, you know, a couple here and there. And yeah. we do those, too. It, you know, keeps the, the flow going. Sure. So, yeah. It's, there never seems to be a shortage, you know, ever. And it's, so that's a good thing.
0: <laughs> do you keep track of numbers? Like, how many boards have you laminated over the years, do you think?
2: Um, I mean, we keep track of how many we do a year, you know, total. So it's um, around a 1,000 which you know isn't huge numbers but for the space we have and the amount of workers that we have it's you just can't ramp up and start doing more because there's not enough guys that can do the job you can't go to a temp agency and say send right. me a sander yeah <laughs> you <know? It's> skilled <laughs> but, labor and yeah. there's not a lot of people right stepping
0: up to learn That's the skill for sure. you know yeah
2: right now we have a, a really good crew I'm, and it's pretty amazing after all these years that we actually have some guys that really like doing it you know and are willing to do a good job and want to learn. And there's actually a couple of them that want to learn to laminate, you know. And good. So hopefully, it's going to continue on.
0: What is your first of all? What is your role at the Santa Cruz Board Builders Guild?
2: Okay. Well, I'm I, everything. Pretty much. <laughs> I'm I'm mainly the the laminator. Okay. I'm like the co-owner, and so I basically laminate. But I I sanded there for before it was the guild. I sanded for Howe for 16 years, and I did hot coats and fins and glossing. And I pretty much have done everything except maybe gloss, uh, polishing. And wow. I could do one, but it may not be, be that nice.
0: Sure. So you shape as well? I do. I shape,
2: the... I shape my own boards. And over the years, I've, I've done a few. I used to even shape a couple for Howe here and there for the showroom. Okay. But it was just something that takes so much time and, and to learn it. And that, it's it's a hard hard thing to learn because you just can't go by blank after blank after blank, you know. Right. And so it does take a long time. I never had that luxury of learning to shape, and I had to make money and, and right. family and support and stuff. So,
0: I started my conversation with Fletch with a seemingly simple question, but it always seems to beget elusive answers. Can you please help me identify what somebody means when they say quality glass job?
2: Right. It, well, the, a little bit of the problem is that when when it's done, all that stuff is hidden. Okay. You know, so you wouldn't necessarily see it, other than you might see bubbles, you know, or okay. dry spots in the lamination. But um, as far as, or if you knew about sanding and you could see where a board was, the shape had been changed by the sander. But it can, um, by and large, after they're finished, it's hard to spot the... The sand throughs or whatever happens that's why it's important to do the quality work all the way through because it may not show necessarily but it'll really affect how the board lasts got it you know, so it's yeah it is pretty hard to tell visually uh, uh, visually yeah
0: so longevity is a key component of quality
2: right exactly got i it. mean from the get-go all the way through from the lamination to the sanding especially the sanding And uh, if the sander gets a good hot coat, you know, who's gotten a good lamination, then they don't have to like just go to town on it so hard to 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 reshape the board basically. So, So what in your
0: kind of responsibility in that equation? um, What do you do as an indicator? What do you do uh, to make it a quality lamination? Well,
2: like I think I heard you. When you were talking with Greg about light and tight, and and so yeah, you have to get the proper amount of resin. Not you don't want it dry, you don't want it too wet, because literally those little puddles that don't even look like much when they go to the next step into the next step, they they stick they stick out, and you have to the sander has to level all that stuff. And when he starts going after puddles and you know and, and bubbles and stuff, then everything has to be sanded even more. So you basically want it as tight as possible and as clean as possible, so that when it does get to that sanding step, that it's there's not that much to do.
0: Certainly, there are board builders who build a board from beginning to end by themselves. I've interviewed plenty of them here on this show. But oftentimes, there are multiple people involved in your surfboard's manufacturing, each person with a specialized task that they are an expert in.
2: We have four guys, you know, and it's, it's pretty full-time, I'd say. They still have time to serve, you know, but they'll come back in the evening or whatever and, and get the work done. But um, yeah, it's actually a pretty pretty small shop for you know for what we do. The, the racks are pretty clogged up all the time, but so we have you know we have a space to put the blanks that come in for glassing, and a, it's a pretty small laminate room compared to a lot of a lot of places. And almost all the spaces are multi-purpose now, just because of the numbers and. Whereas when I first came and worked at Hout shop, there was a a giant glossing room because everything was glossed back in those Mm -hmm. days. And there was a room that you did not go in. I mean, it was off limits for anything other than glossing because they wanted to get a really super nice gloss on the board. So it was like dust free. And sure, it was pretty cool. But over the years, square footage, you know, has become more valuable. And so we had to like, we gloss in there now and we do some hot coating in there and so, and then we've got a small sanding room uh, and a polishing area, and we kind of make do with just that so so what are the four roles of the employees? Um, well, I'll do the laminating and I also have another guy that helps do the clear clear laminating and um and then there's a hot coater who'll do fins if there's glass on he'll do the fins and the hot coats and there's the sander and I have a couple guys actually that kind of help out on sanding and then there's the polishing so those are the, the main steps but then there's pen lines and whatever else is you know that kind of gets thrown in there too so sure
0: um given all the boards that you've seen come through can you visually identify or even like in the lamination process maybe not just visually but while you're working with the board uh can you identify a good board a board that will work well in the water
2: um, to some extent, I mean, I still surf and, and, I've had a lot of surfboards over the years and at one time I was fairly proficient at it, Sure. <laughs> you know, getting older and my boards are getting longer and, but, um, yeah, you can tell, you know, you can tell and some of them are, you know, nicer than others, you know, and, um, and you try to, you have to kind of look at that, you know, and you have to, cause you have to reshape it basically after you've glassed it. Right. You know, so you—that's the first thing you do—is you you look at it and you go, "Where are the concaves? Where are, you know, where's whatever it needs?" So you have to you have to be aware of that. It helps to, to probably be a surfer and and know you know what you're looking at. Yeah. So to help see that sander especially too has got to know about you know the edges where the edges go, how they blend, you know, what, where the concaves are. And, and
0: so. I was talking to Dave Parmenter who is actually who is saying that the sander actually deserves much more recognition um, in and that they can kind of improve the board design in their job and in fact he said that he'll shape boards almost unfinished like leave soft edges knowing if he puts a hard edge the glasser is going to have a harder time glassing it so he'll leave it soft doing the glasser a favor the laminator a favor but also knowing that the sander will add that right. hard edge to it. Yep. Um, that seems like he's putting a lot of trust in the right. <laughs> in the sander.
2: Well, and and it's also the hot coater. The hot coater's job used to be just put a sanding coat on, and then we'd sand the heck out of it, and then put a gloss coat over. It. But now there's actually even a step in between that is a guy that pre-grinds the board the bottom takes the lap down and and grinds down the boxes and then we put that's when the hot coater will put the final coat on. So the pre grind guy has to be really good too. And then the hot coater will add resin, like you say, to wherever it needs a sharp edge. We'll actually put a little bead of resin there to add to that. So when the sander finally does get it, it's you know, it's ready for him to just hopefully just have to skin it basically. So there's, yeah, there's some steps in there that, that go a long way into making it what the shaper had intended.
0: So let's kind of break it down. Uh, Travis has a shaping bay there. He shapes a blank. Right. Puts it in the rack. Is your job the next step?
2: Mine the next step, What yeah. is
0: your job as the
2: laminator? If it gets an airbrush, then it goes to the airbrush. Okay. But other than that, I have to look at the color, you know, that he asked for, and it's the boards, are his especially, are always really nice, so there's n- nothing I have to do to them, you know, as far as getting scratches or anything like that out. So. And so then I will dress the board. If it gets a color, you know, you have to tape it off and and get ready to... You actually add the color into the resin, and then you saturate the cloth. Well, what's
0: dressing the board first?
2: That's... Now? Okay. Yeah. On colored boards, you have to tape off for the lap line because if you just throw a lap underneath with color you'll end up with you know color all over the 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 other side of the board
0: so just like taping off your room when you're painting it right exactly so there's no over
2: right brush or spray you do that and then you look at the order card and it calls for a specific type of cloth it's a weight you know so and most of the time it's on color boards especially it's like six ounce you know glass
0: why is it six ounce? It's,
2: it it holds more, a little more resin, and you get a nicer color, nicer even color. The four ounce, like you can get really light with the four ounce, but it doesn't hold as much resin. So okay,
0: it's so. What are you referring to with six ounce and four ounce? It's the
2: the weight of the glass. I per square foot per square yeah weight that it would. So one would square
0: pay. foot yeah. weighs four ounces essentially. Yeah, yeah. So, got it.
2: Anyway, so I will, you know. I look at that. I'll fold the cloth out. You, you trim it around the perimeter so that it will wrap around the rail onto the deck. Because we do the bottom first normally, and onto that tape that you've laid down, and then you catalyze, depending on the temperature, you know, and humidity, and you know how fast you're working, and so you, you wet out the the glass, get it on nice and even, so your color comes out even, evenly and hopefully it kicks right as you're finished okay and that way it it doesn't continue to drain into the foam or or grip onto the floor or or whatever but after it's sat for however long it takes depending on the temperature sometimes and the weather you'll turn it over then that's where you trim the lap with just a single edge razor blade and you'll just you'll just there's different techniques for doing it, but yeah, I usually will trim the nose and the tail freehand and then pull the tape up and then just run the blade along at, a, at a, just an angle and trim it without cutting into the foam. Sure. And that gives you a, pr- a nice clean line. Um, a lot of boards these days, they don't want pen lines. They just want that colored lap, and so you might have little rips or tears where you've trimmed it so we'll go back, we'll save, save the color, and we'll go back and retape it and fill in any little voids or just to make it a nice clean clean line, so if you're... S
0: glass is tougher, more expensive. Yep. Uh, is there any downside to it? Is
2: there any reason you would use, use E instead of S? Well, uh, probably cost. I think the e, e glass is pretty much the standard in the industry. Okay. You know, a few people will use S glass and stuff. And I get calls for it. And when people want it, we'll order it and, and do the board with it. So
0: but E is the standard because yeah, of cost. Probably,
2: yeah, I would say mainly, yeah. Got cost. it. You know, an E-glass polyester board is, is, if you take care of it, it'll last. You okay. Know? That's, that's a big part of it. I mean, sun is really bad for the resin. even if it's got uv inhibitor or whatever in it it's still the sun is your enemy on a surfboard if you've ever seen a board from the 50s or 60s that's laid in a backyard for for all that time the resin's gone it's all that's left is just the fiberglass yeah it does degrade the fire the resin quite a bit so if you keep it in a bag if you fix the dings you know they're totally strong to ride waves that that's about it You know, it's not for dropping on the parking lot or running into a rock or in anybody else.
0: I've not heard um, that before in terms of resin being the thing that really is what degrades. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly Greg Martz mentioned like overshaping is a culprit, you know, so people will blame a glasser saying that the board delaminated or there were heel dents in it. And then his response is, well, the shaper took too much right. foam out of the deck. Um, but you're also saying that resin is what degrades, right? firstly.
2: Yeah, yeah. ultraviolet. Interesting. But, but that's an important point about the foam, because it, it is, I think, and in, in with the advent of shaping machines and stuff, the people running the machines, if they just take a big, thick blank and make a little thin surfboard out of it, where did they, you know, take the foam off? You know, right. so it's it, that's important. I mean, the machines make them nice, you know, for sure. But who's loading it into the machine and where are they indexing? You right. Know? So that's that's important too. So if resin is something that degrades, um, are
0: there different types of resins and are some better than Absolutely. others? Absolutely. What um, what are the options?
2: Well, polyester. It, that's pretty much it is what it is. There are some. Different polyesters, you know, blends and stuff that are a little stronger. A lot of times the color isn't as, as clear, so that's not really desirable. Um, epoxy is absolutely superior, you know, uh, as far as strength. Um, we don't do any epoxy in our shop, and mainly because we've had employees get sensitized to it. Really? Yeah. And once you're sensitized to epoxy, yeah. you can't be around it so it's poisonous yes it is and um is polyester not well i mean i'm i'm still here (laughs) (laughs) you know i don't know the chemistry of it all but i've heard that polyester like metabolizes out of your system fairly rapidly whereas epoxy it just sets in there for years and years and years and so it's yeah like i say it's superior and almost every other industry uses epoxy now because of the strength and stuff but they're not building the way we build you know they're use it's like molded or vacuum bagged and there's not a lot of sanding that goes on afterwards and so it's every step of the way it's uncured epoxy is is just like wet epoxy you know even if it's kicked and stuff until it's fully cured it's it's got some nasty stuff in it
0: and we're talking that um
2: health concern is that all inhaled just through fumes the two the two of our guys that got sensitized to it was from the dust from the dust
0: after it hardens yeah and then you when they were
2: sanding it okay and it got they got a skin dermatitis okay Okay. so it's not even internally it's just on no but it can be and that's the real danger i would say is if you can get an uh, infection or something irritation going on the outside. And you wouldn't want it on the inside.
0: I guess it's a misnomer. It's kind of a misunderstanding in the market because when we hear about epoxy, we hear that it's actually greener, and I think, and it's actually, uh, but that's always in reference to the environment, right? Like, right.
2: Well, there is no VOCs. With right. It, and um, so it's
0: not damaging for the environment. However,
2: yeah. It's all oil out of the ground, <laughs> right? Know? So, and there's also the overall footprint too. And I've heard that a um, an epoxy longboard is actually dirtier than a poly longboard really? by the time it's you know pumped out of the ground, man. You know, refined and so there needs to be more study done on that. But there, there's information online okay about that
0: are there um i know there's like bio resins right. now um mm-hmm. epoxy resins mm-hmm. have you worked with those and are there benefits to them do they still have that um danger of working with them
2: i think well they're not a hundred percent bio okay you know so maybe something like that would be something but they're still a blend got it you know and i don't know what the percentages are it may only be a small percentage you know
0: is there ambition with doing the bio thing to reduce need of the um, oil out of the ground? Or is it to make it more healthy to actually work with?
2: Well, it might, might cut down on the, you know, oil out of the ground. Because you are adding, you know, vegetable base or what, whatever it is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's... it's. I think you just have to look at the overall picture. The, the greenest board is one that you've ridden for 10 years.
0: That doesn't break.
2: You know yeah i've ridden i've had boards i rode for 12 years before and that goes back to taking care of them right you know so it can be a poly board you know it can if you take good care of it, it'll it'll last i think i I've, i haven't had a lot of epoxy board I had a couple but i understand that they they remain kind of lively longer because the board does after a number of years will kind of start to feel dead and maybe it's just the you know the the pop has gone out of it and stuff. And I heard that the epoxy board retain that a little longer. So it's, I mean, by far superior strength as, as far as just the resin goes. Right. Itself.
0: Um, I'm curious in breaking down what you just said, when you get a brand new board, obviously it has a lot of pop. And we certainly know that they kind of die over a certain mm-hmm. amount of time. Where's the sweet spot for you personally? What have you identified as the sweet spot I don't think anybody ever takes the has the best session the first time out. But there right. is
2: and then of course it dies at a certain... so where is that for you? Huh. Well I don't know if it's so much the that the first time out as it is just maybe a new board and different design or whatever that you have to get a little used to it, you know. I know guys it'll ride a board and immediately write it off, you know. Right. And, well, he didn't ride it, but one no. time, and it was terrible. Yeah. You know, the surf was no good. So, but yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I could probably have told you more like years ago. <laughs> sure. About that, but, you know, I when just, I was surfing all the time, and you know, and you I could remember,
0: tell. I remember hearing Maurice Cole say, and I don't know that this is true, but this is what he said: was that um, he's found the board to be kind of at its best, at its peak performance. The day before it delams,
2: very possible. You know, I remember um, I was, we were looking at one of Adam Rapogel's boards, and this thing he had like one of his best contest results ever on this thing, and it was absolutely just crushed. You know, in the tail area, I mean, the rocker was like had changed from from the denting on the deck yeah. that actually bent the rocker in the bottom. And he swore that was one of his best boards ever. So, you know, it's <laughs> it can, it could be very very true. But it's finally broken in your feet, are where they're going to be on it, you know, and maybe having those wells, you know, in down in there, gives lowers your center of gravity or maybe whatever yeah. makes it you know go.
0: It raises a question for me that is you know you start out by saying we want strength and quality glass job, strength is a result. And it's certainly more sustainable because you're not going through as many boards, whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, you can make a board that never breaks, but that board won't necessarily be the best board to surf. And so where's that happy medium where it's like, we want the elements to kind of break down
2: to a certain degree, Mm -hmm. you know, where is that? Yeah, well, probably maybe with trial and error, you could achieve that, you know, with the, the right amount of cloth and, you know, flex here or flex there, and they're, they're working on some of that stuff. Could you design
0: a board like that doesn't ever break, but design it in such a way that it has built in those characteristics of either footwells or whatever to kind of perform like it in its ideal state and then never break down, mm-hmm.
2: you know? Absolutely. One of our, our airbrusher used to ride his boards a couple times, bring them back in and clean the wax off and put patches of glass over all the dents really and reinforce those dents because they were there and they were going to be there you know and he would reinforce them with just little patches of, of cloth and he'd get a little more you know wouldn't delaminate as easily and stuff you know
0: that's fascinating
2: yeah so you could i mean literally i mean you can shape anything so you know there's you can put wells in them or you know so you could maybe find out what exactly works and and just and go with it, you know.
0: What is delamination caused by?
2: Well, it's. I would say that it's mostly just caused from the compression of the foam, you know, and the glass not, not, just the foam going breaking away from the from the glass. Um, I, of course, a, a bad lamination or too dry or whatever could could you know help help that process along. Sure. So, but you're you're, you're pouring. You know, it's a porous core, and you're putting resin on there, and you're trying to saturate this fiberglass. And the whole time you're doing it, the resin's like seeping into the foam, which you want to some extent. But that's, you know, maybe why boards get heavy too, is because by the time you're done saturating the glass, there's a lot of resin that's soaked into the foam. So it's um, you, you need that to some extent so that you'll have a good bond. But, yeah, I would say most most of the time delamination. That and maybe, well, you know, care of your... If you leave a board in your car and it gets 160 degrees in there, it could easily, like, especially epoxy boards and with the EPS cores, they'll blow up like a balloon. Right. Yeah, so that's... The heat, again, is hard on them.
0: Um, you mentioned the word bond. So that's kind of the goal with lamination right, right is right. having that saturated fiberglass cloth bonded to foam right. equally throughout the entire every square centimeter of that board
2: right. Right.
0: and certainly heat probably um, degrades the quality of that bond mm-hmm. and all you really need is one weak spot somewhere right in the board for that to kind of mm-hmm. show up and mm-hmm. um, you referenced other industries do things like vacuum bagging. I know we do a bit of va- vacuum bagging
2: in surfboard sure. manufacturing as well. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what is vacuum bagging? Right. Well, it's um, it's just a way of of infusing the glass with the resin, and to get it the just the right amount of resin to glass ratio is is done with a vacuum bag where it, just literally pulls a vacuum it put a board inside of a bag and pull a vacuum on it it'll pull out all the excess resin it'll you know it'll just leave just what's necessary to wet the glass out and and bond it to the surface too and so there's I think it's called peel ply that goes in there too and that takes all that excess resin and soaks it up so that when you pull it off you just have just the fiberglass saturated and bonded to the surface sounds effective yeah it well it's obviously they you know they do almost everything else that way you know why don't race we cars you know well most things probably aren't aren't glued to a porous core like a surfboard age, okay you know? and it's usually a lot more layers of glass too i remember reading some some data on when they did like tests on fiberglass and how strong it is and they'll do i looked at it it goes 24 layers we tested we tested 24 layers and this is how strong it is you know (laughs) i'm just laughing i'm going 24 layers you know it's like we got one layer on the bottom and two layers on the top you know and that's it so yeah it's it's yeah you're kind of expecting a lot out of one layer of fiberglass you know sure so So we um there are manufacturers
0: though that do vacuum bagging and surfing why don't we see more of it I think it's um,
2: labor intensive for one thing and you know they it's yeah it's it would take a lot of space you know people you know to set the thing up and get it in the bag and so I think it's I think it's part labor saving I mean we've been doing boards the same for 50 years you know and it's kind of the way it is because of the way it is you know well is there a
0: downside to vacuum bagging like it seems like if it were um if you use less material if it was lighter and tighter which was that original Mm -hmm. goal why not invest in it or is there a downside
2: well maybe return of investment okay it's economics yeah yeah for sure yeah there's it's always been in the surfboard industry it's always been you know you try to do it as inexpensively as possible, you know, because there's not a big margin, you know. Yeah. So, and you maybe have a little margin, but the numbers are so small, you know. Right. That, so it's,
0: Does adding color to resin uh, degrade the quality at all, or compromise the quality at
2: all? Um, maybe certain colors, um, not so much. I mean, think. You maybe use a little more resin with a color just to get that uneven you know the colors even and on the board sometimes i think maybe the boards are a little heavier when you do with color but um basically it's it's not a a lot of pigment it's just you know depending on what you're trying to do but they definitely the colors have they've taken like lead and stuff out of the, the colors which i think in probably all industries, was really a problem when they first started changing paints and stuff to get rid of some of the stuff that was bad in it. And it took them a long time to figure out how to get color that would stand up, you know, and be as good as the old type of stuff. And some of that stuff worked pretty darn good as far as like opacity and, and, and just vibrance. And so it's. It's a little harder now sometimes to get like a board solid opaque because the colors just it takes so much pigment to get it opaque if somebody wants that that you can get too much pigment and then the resin doesn't want to go off so it's yeah it's all kind of a mixture game and stuff but yeah the colored boards are usually a little heavier okay i would say but i don't think they're any less strong okay yeah
0: you keep talking about the catalyzing the resin and it going off right um and you said earlier about the temperature being an influence mm-hmm. in that and the kind yep. of uh right. environmental factors mm-hmm. is your climate controlled in the shop no okay <laughs> in a word no. so then how... in the winter
2: you use more catalysts in the summer you use less simple as that <laughs> yeah okay pretty much yeah are um, you keeping charts on measurements for um no i mean it's just from experience. You know, I do have a thermometer and you just, you look at that and you just, or the color, how much pigment you put in and that's it's pretty straightforward. So, after you've done it enough times, you know how right. much. Um, you can, I mean, if you're fast, you can, you know, load the cattle stuff and, and go to town, but there's also a point where too much catalyst will cause the board to go off too quickly and it can make it brittle you know. um, there, we use uh, UV resin, UV cured resin which has been really been nice, it's, a, it's been a great invention um, we can now especially when we hot coat boards we can hot, get the resin on put it in the ultraviolet light box and in 10 minutes we can bring it out flip it over and do the other side as opposed to two or three hours oh, wow. curing on the wall, so you had, the old way. You had to have a lot of wall racks to set set the boards while you're working on them because they wouldn't wouldn't cure very fast. So you can laminate with UV resin too, which we do a lot on the on the clear boards. But again, it's it's almost like over-catalyzing. if you put them in the in the light too fast or too much UV. It'll make it go off almost instantly, okay. and almost not have a chance to even like bond well, you know. Okay. So, yeah, I love UV resin; it's, it's it's great. But is there any downside to using it? <laughs> Some people say that it's not as strong because it's exactly the same resin as the stuff we catalyze, but it just has the activator in it that causes it to harden, rather than catalyze. It's fifty percent less VOCs. Oh which is kind of cool you know and but yeah it's it's again you don't want to just laminate and then take it outside into the sun you know it's like it goes off way too quick okay that's why we use the light box to right kind of kick it control it once you once you've got it kicked and it's hardened you can take it out and cure it you know a little bit but you want that first bit of time for the resin to soak into the foam and not go off too fast just like with catalyst you don't have to go off too fast
0: you were saying um, you laminate the bottom
2: of the board first normally almost always why is that Um, why is that because when you sand the bottom of the board there's a there's the lap from the deck is, is then onto the bottom of the board and you can put the uh, hot coat over it and kind of build it up because it's kind of a flat surface, so that when you sand it, you you can hit a you know hit some cloth that it's it's easy to level. If you do the deck first and lap it lap it over onto the bottom, and then when you put the the bottom coat, which is only, usually only one layer, and you're going over the top of that, the lap from the deck. When you sand the board, if you sand into that lap, you've pretty much just zipped the, the lamination on the bottom. Right. So where it's just been cut basically all the way around the lap. Right. So it really <coughs> loses a lot of strength that way. Okay. So, I mean, you can do it and you have to build up the the hot coat and stuff on the bottom so the sander doesn't, doesn't burn into that. But I've been doing a few more of those lately. To, okay. You know, people want the color on the top and... In the lap to go around on the on the bottom, and I want a clear bottom or whatever. So, so um,
0: you also <laughs> talked about doing one layer of cloth on the bottom, two layers of cloth on mm-hmm. the deck. Mm-hmm. Why do you do that? Well, the
2: deck is takes the beating, so you know. I mean, you. I mean, some of the EPS boards and the epoxy boards, they'll because the core is so light that they can really add a lot of layers of glass onto the board. They can put twice as much or three times as much, you know, probably end up weighing the same as a a poly board, which makes them bomber, you know, but it also makes them stiffer. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a trade-off. I think there's some experimenting going on, you know, with flex and and just different stringer, you know, arrangements and carbon fiber reinforcement and stuff. So it's just all, it's R and D, you know, R and D cost money expensive you know?
0: D, <laughs> so time consuming yeah too.
2: so it's taken a long time to get to where we've got but yeah it's, it's it's time is money
0: right yeah. so back to the um kind of different roles in the shop you're laminating
2: mm-hmm.
0: once you're done obviously bottom then deck
2: mm-hmm.
0: once you're done laminating where does the board go from there
2: then the hot cutter will come <laughs> in and put the, the sanding coat basically is what that is. What is
0: hot coat, or what
2: is sanding hot co- coat? Hot coat is is just laminating resin that has surfacing agent added to it, and it just creates a little wax shell that the sander can sand. So it's otherwise, why you can't you can't sand laminating resin? It's just it just never gets hard. I mean, it hardens, but it stays kind of tacky, and um, <clears throat> so he'll come in and do that. He'll 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 do fill coats, paste, you know, just different areas of the board that. That you don't want to sand into necessarily, so you need to build it up a little bit with a fill coat, and then put the hot coat on. And this is primarily for sanded finish boards. That okay. That you're trying to trying to get it as close to finish so that the sander doesn't have to like really get into it. So the hot coat can go a long ways. It's kind of an important important job now. So hot coating. Why
0: isn't that um, surfacing agent added during the lamination process and just
2: done in one step? Um, it's because of the the shell. It, it it won't stick. Won't stick to itself, basically. Hmm. So it's it, it adds this wax wax. It's that literally paraffin and styrene mixed together. And it, so it, it makes it sandable, but also makes it slick. So the lamination wouldn't stick to itself.
0: So. Interesting. Yeah. So okay so hot coat kind of um, that wax kind of fills in all of the weave builds up a little right. bit of a surface on right. the board yep. so that you can essentially sand it back down, yeah. sand it down yeah. so once that hardens
2: is it glossy in color mm, To to some extent it's a little okay. milky you know it's like okay. I mean and that's that's the finish on a sanded finish board it doesn't go any further okay that's sanded but that's all it gets and if you're gonna do a gloss then after it's sanded, then it'll get that last, that last coat of resin.
0: So hot coat, and then that's sanding, right. and a
2: lot of those short boards. That's that's all. That's that's it's done. Beyond that, what are the options? Then you can go to the gloss, which which is if you want it. I mean, you can have a sandy gloss, which is even kind of kind of strong. You know, it's it's a thin layer of resin, but it does have a. A little different resin it has a kind of a hard shell okay like it's not going to keep the board from breaking you know necessarily but just nicks and scratches and stuff it does it gives some some protection
0: so does a sanded gloss look the same as um
2: a sanded finish sanded, like sanded hot coat right um it depends both? on how we, how you finish a bit it it, they look really nice I mean it does Are they both matte finishes yeah they're matte finishes okay. but the the gloss resin like today is a little harder it, it so sands pretty nicely it's okay. not so if you look closely at a hot coated board it's kind of porous you know there's it's just it's got some it's not as hard and tight and then you can also polish the gloss coat too so there's three finish options basically pretty much yeah okay and the gloss polish right (laughs) is essentially just a buffing after that final sanding yeah it's it's pretty involved actually it's to get it really really nice it's
0: break it down for me what are the steps um,
2: it's depending on the polisher you'll you'll start with i mean 600 grit which is you know not fine in some industries some industries will go to 2000 you know and stuff but but we typically do 600 and 400. And and then you use rubbing compound, and that's applied to the board. And that's also like another sanding, because it's gritty enough. I mean, it feels real fun, real smooth and stuff, but it's actually, it does take scratches out and stuff. And then, then we actually have another two or three polishes on top of that that really bring it to, I mean, Our guy especially, he's really good, and they are like mirrors. Really? You know, and you'll see a board, and it looks pretty shiny and stuff, but if you look at it in the light, right, you can see a lot of sanding swirls and and stuff, but he doesn't get those. It's just like, like I say, it's like a mirror finish.
0: And it's with what we would envision, like a polished pad. Oh, yeah. Super soft,
2: fluffy. Yeah, it's a 6,000 RPM. It's a a beast of a machine. I wouldn't want to have to... (laughs) Wheel it around all day long, I'll tell you. Got it. <laughs> but yeah, it it turns really fast and 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 busts it out to a really high gloss.
0: Okay. So. Um. In shaping, we've seen the CNC machine kind of automate much of the shaping process. Can you envision any automation in the glassing process?
2: <laughs> I think about that, <laughs> but. <laughs> you dream of the day. <laughs> Again, who's going to do that? You know, <laughs> who's going to develop like a machine like that, and, and uh, who's going to who's going to pay for that to make surfboards? You know? I thought that too about shaving machines. Those things aren't cheap, you know. And but they found
0: them. They found a home. Yeah, know? yeah.
2: I mean, maybe there's too many of them out there. I'm not sure, but I've heard of some of them like just going away too. Sure, you know, for not having because it's like any CNC machine. I have a friend with the machine shop. And they have like ten. CNC mills, you know, right, right. and those things got to run all day long, you know, to pay for themselves.
0: The economics will always kind of dictate yeah. what happens, but there's so many things we have today that um, we couldn't have imagined before. Right. Oh,
2: no, iPhone, absolutely. You know? no. So,
0: can you envision a future? Like, it seems like the technology exists.
2: Yeah. I th- Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, probably maybe a sanding machine that could, if you could reload the board after it's glassed in exactly the same position it was in the shaping machine like maybe see a, a sanding machine that could could sand it you know just like the CNC machine only it would just be a sander instead of a cutter
0: I mean if you could um, take a scan off the shaped blank let's say
2: mm-hmm.
0: put it back into the machine and just say do the same thing at one thirty second right. of an inch exactly you know more yeah, more yeah.
2: yeah. you know
0: be interesting
2: and my sander would be out of a job
0: he can get a job engineering <laughs> maybe the he could run the machine yeah. <laughs> or or he'll learn the yeah he'll engineer the machine
2: well you know yeah maybe if he has a they'll need an expert to do <laughs> computer that computer science degree. Yeah. all right so we'll have to go back to school first exactly um,
0: i'll actually close out this episode with fletch a little later That's the majority of our technical conversation, but he did have some other interesting stuff to share, so stick around to hear that. For now though, back to Parmenter. Here he closes the loop on fin lamination, and then those various ways that you could finish a surfboard that Fletch was talking about, Parmenter illuminates which of those actually is the fastest in the water. One thing we haven't discussed at all in this construction process is fins. When do they get factored into the equation?
1: Well, a lot of times nowadays, if you use some of the fins the removable fin systems like future fin systems, those are uh, routed into and installed before the board is laid up, laminated. Um, so, therefore, the uh, when the lamination layer goes, o- it goes over it and kind of creates a, you know, kind of like a lip around it. And they're not installed afterwards, like a lot of the other things, or glassed on after the board is in the hot coat phase. So that.
0: Fin systems are routed out of the foam? Yeah. And then in the lamination, they laminate over that and well, then first, cut it well, out? Well, first they have,
1: to, they have to put the ins- that insert in, whether it's a big fin box in the back, like Future Fin's one, or the, which has kind of like a, a lip on it. And their their boxes, those you have to use an adhesive in there too. So there would be, like with polyurethane boards, it would be a mix of you know, laminate resin and cabosil or some other thickener with uh, epoxy uh, resin and using like an EPS thing, it'd have to be a slow cure epoxy. Because when you start concentrating epoxy on, or any resin on a, a EPS, it they have a very low melt point in a lot of those resins, especially the basic bead, bead resins that we, I mean the bead foams that we use. I mean some of those like 110 degrees or something, they'll just, they melt. And if you concentrate resin, like if you notice like when you fix a dinging in a Dixie cup, the resin on your board's not hot but what's left over in the pot or your Dixie cup gets hot to the point of smoking so you can only imagine what that does when you've collected all that resin in you know fin insert hole yeah and i mean i've had boards just melt right through really yeah wow
0: okay so with um a removable fin system you route out the foam adhere the box into that and then the lamination goes straight over that and then they cut out of the lamination the hole where the fin would go
1: yeah they do they have it um so it's uh i think it's taped over and then they trim around it got it yeah
0: and then what happens with glass on fins where does that take place that takes place
1: further further up further down the road and we get to uh after the board's hot coated so that's that'd be the next thing after the deck is is laid up and laminated with those layers that is uh left to harden enough to work with and then usually the people will go over with sure forms or little mini like power sanders with small discs and they'll clean up the the lap lines or any bits of cloth that are sticking out there'll be a little like stalactites or drips and things and that's all cleaned up and um then the uh and they'll then the board will be hot coated
0: what is hot tub
1: well, the laminating resin is, um, it doesn't have this uh, surfacing agent in it, styrene monomer. It doesn't have an agent in it, it's, so it can't be sanded. So it just kind of stays sticky. If you try to sand it, like Greg Martz mentioned, you could use like 50 sheets of sandpaper. But that's just the you know on that glass itself. So when you go, the hot coat is, means that it has this agent in it, the sanding agent, surfacing agent styrene monomer and that is put in there so that you can sand it but you also the hot coat name comes from the fact that you make this kind of a hot batch because it helps kick off or cure that preceding layer of laminating resin
0: which would remain sticky otherwise right got it
1: so and that that makes it sandable and so you do that on 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 both sides and one it, side at a time
0: and the hot coat basically fills in all that weave that you could see from the fiberglass Itself from the laminating. Yeah, it fills in, settles in, fills it.
1: in, and it settles down, and it it starts to give you a, a enough of a margin on the board that you can, when it's time to sand it, you can accentuate or reshape in with the original shaper head in there. And a lot of sanders can actually improve a board. Really? Yeah, a good sander will improve a board because I leave room for for things on edges and things where I tell the sander I want this edge I don't have to shape that edge in as much and make it knife sharp because that'll actually make it harder to glass like Greg was Greg Marsh talking about like with air bubbles and things like hard corners you want to round that off and if, if you work with the sander who is actually kind of a shaper in his own right they can start accentuating that cleaning things up any any a lot of times things in the shape that might seem a little weird they in the glassing thing you've got this little bit more thickness on it over the entire board so there's a little bit more room to refine it and clean it up
0: it seems like just while just as they could improve the shape they could probably degrade it as well I would imagine
1: oh yeah they and they can oversand sand too so
0: under sand and over
1: sand yeah, undersand, over sand they can they can change the shape they can make the rails they can muddy all the lines of the board that right. you put in there and then see. so the fins would be on the bottom when you before you coat the bottom they would lay the fins out if you're glassing them on and tape them on at the, whatever angles put a little bit of set glue or people use all kinds of things to hold the fin at the angle and then those would be laid up with little football shaped fillets of glass and resin and that's a messy thing some in fiberglass rope they use that you just don't see glass on fins that much anymore i really don't yeah um
0: it's a lot of responsibility for the shaper to leave to a contract glass shop, basically, and, and you might not even know the name of the sander who's then sanding It is,
1: it. And, and over time, I've like working with a lot of different. I've worked with big glass shops, you know, like Lamination Hawaii and on Oahu, where it's just enormous, and there's you don't really know what's going on. And then I've worked with the, my glasser in Makao, Kimo Kawaiho that just does everything out under the back of a kiavi tree and you're I mean you're working with them every day and then, then places like Waterman's Guild I'm working with them every day too like yeah. really close because they have a really good you know uh, customer service good office manager and so it feels like a smaller shop but there but there is this constant just touching base on things on, on everything and it, yeah you're right it's it's a it's the relationship with the glassers everything and I usually tell people it takes two or three years Wow. To break in a new glasser, to get them to where they're thinking like you, and, you know, I guess it's like a relationship, right? It takes, it does take that long sometimes. So is there kind of an, an ideal objective for the
0: sander? Like, let's say you give them a shaped blank. You know what the glassing schedule is going to be on it, and you want that final sanding to be, let's say, one-eighth inch thicker all the way around the entire square footage or square inches inchage of that board can you make it that simple
1: no you wouldn't really say that the thickness is based on the you don't have that much of a margin between the fiberglass that you don't want to touch when you're sanding and how thin I mean you're very it's a very very thin layer but is and there
0: is there a number that you can just assign
1: no like, no the, the, the thing that with them is to go over any kind of board that has exotic contours on it that they're not used to and say look I this is see this concave here or this or I've done this with the bottom or I want my edges like that and they need to know beforehand because it might not be as apparent to them when it's if it's a messy hot coat and there's lots of blobs of resin hanging or thing you know things tend to be a little bit more muddied up so a good sander will just think like a shaper but you do have to work with them right and i
0: would think I wouldn't be too concerned about them, like, filling in a concave as much it's happened. as... happened. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it has. But I would think anybody who got hired by a reputable glassing facility wouldn't do that. But I'd be, I would be concerned about, like, where you want that hard edge to end in proximity to the fin.
1: That's, you know, the that's hard edge That's trial and error, David. I mean, it's, it's, it depends on how willing the, the work ethic and the, how conscientious someone is because some people pick it up in two boards. Or two rounds of boards. Other people, you can just say, no, look, I want this edge tucked under here. I want it like knife sharp by the fins. I want it to be firm through the middle, and I want it to get knife sharp again at the nose or something. And you'll say something like that, and it comes back, and you're just like, oh nope, let's try again. But Whats but, but so what brain- do you do
0: with that board, though? I mean, that was a customer who ordered that board.
1: Oh, you can, no, those, that, that can usually be rectified. Okay. Yeah. There's. I always liked, when I used to be uh, on the pro circuit and was riding Rusty's boards, I always asked a sanders to give me all my boards knife sharp because that implied there's more resin. And I would take it out and try it based on the assumption that, you know, you can't really add the resin, although you can, but that it's easier to take it off. So I would take a piece of wet and dry sandpaper out with me and start with the edges by you know, just nose where to the fin, because that's the most critical ones. And if it started, to, if it felt too skatey and hard to control, I'd start, I'd roll, I'd just start taking that edge off. It's just hmm. like sighting a rifle in. And I would just work my way up to the nose until I found it right. You mean out
0: into the water? Yeah, you take it in water? the water.
1: You just take a little piece of like 180 or something like that, and you put it in a little roll, and it works when it's wet. Stuff in your wetsuit? And you it put it in your, your wetsuit. wetsuit, and then you could just go and sand the... In between the, waves? Just, yeah. Wow. People, do, people used to do that with fins. You know?
0: Wow. Fascinating.
1: Um, that's come out like a pro level. I mean, I don't know, but I, but I would rather have the edges on there and then you can always board take them off.
0: Yeah. Back to the construction process. We finished with hot coat yeah, the, and sanding.
1: Yeah.
0: Is that the final process? We didn't discuss polish
1: or? No, that's later. So if the board is, once the board is hot coated, you're going to notice a difference in it right away because that, that hot batch of sanding resin, which can be sanded, really just levels everything out and it fills in all that that, you know, kind of beaded lenticular shape of the fiberglass cloth and it starts to look like a surfboard. It starts to look like you can almost ride it. You get super fired up to take it out. But then it's got up hardened enough to be sanded. So that might be a while. That might be the, they always just say, Oh well, come back tomorrow kid. <laughs> you know, it can't be you know it's not cured yet or something. And uh, and then waiting for your board in the sanding room is the longest wait because it seems like sanders are like the lead guitarists of, of you know, the surfboard industry and they're like the guys with the talent and sometimes the prima donnas and they're the ones that just sometimes drop the mic and walk off stage and everything but good ones are great, hold on to them, but there's usually a backlog there waiting for your board to get sanded. And then there's all the inserts that you put in like the other types of fin, fin inserts like FCS with the plugs or the boxes deck plugs things like that that all gets done in that phase when you say deck plugs the leash leash plugs got it yeah leash plugs so that and then there's peop- some people will have they'll have different people doing different jobs most most of the big shops will have separate rooms for each of these things and the next thing would be that the board is when it's hard enough to sand they would take it into a sanding room which has usually some sort of good ventilation suction that pulls all the sanding dust, which is a nightmare. It's where you get all your fiberglass itch. It's something you definitely don't look to look probably look forward to going in and doing every day like shaping because foam dust is just irritating. It's not itchy. Uh, and usually they'll have some sort of draw fan that pulls it out. And then they have lights set up in there, much more like a shaping room. And then each sander has his own gear and rigs and everything, but they have a you know a good power sander with different pads, different size, different uh, you know softnesses of it. And they start with a, you know, probably like 100 grit or something like that. And they machine the flats, meaning they just take this power sander and they go over with these pads that are made for what we're doing over the flats of the boards and delicately get into some of the con- contours. And if it's around fins, they'll kind of rough it out. And the ne- then after that, the board's been machine sanded. There's what they call rail sanding. And you'll usually have them come in, and that's where they go in with sandpaper sometimes on squeegees or other pads where they do the rails and then they start tightening everything up they start getting all the edges and all the little things that you can't really chase with the power sander which is a lot like shaping you can use the skill 100 power planer to do most of the basic blocking out but then you have to come in there and slowly start blending it together with finer and finer tools. And at that point you're at this juncture where for like the classic team Pro light surfboards, sanded hot coat is what we're calling this. It, it can go out the door, then, and a lot of times it does. It's cheaper, it's quicker in the production to get it sanded hot coat. It's lighter, and it was like when Greg March started Waterman's Guild, he was known for being the guy with the super light team things. And it's funny now that he's known for like these unbelievably cosmetic boards. Um, and that's fine the only thing is is even when a board is meticulously sanded and people many people ride sanded hot coats for years the, the board's probably not entirely sealed it, like glass rovings can wick water in or there might be little places where there's air voids or bubbles or something might communicate when the board's in that vacuum thing that we talked about earlier when it gets hot or it gets cold and it starts to suck in air and water so the classic gold standard thing is we start to go in with a finish coat, or what we call a gloss coat. And that uses finishing resin, which is a different formulation of resin. It's, it's formulated to be thin and very brittle, thus easily polished and also thin. And that is brushed on, you know, on the deck down to the middle of the rail, which is taped off. And then, then later when that kicks, they do the bottom. And that's a very thin layer, and, it, and it's hard to do because there's nowhere else to hide. All these other steps in the boards, there's probably been steps where oh, it'll come out in the next phase. or, But in this, with, with somebody glossing it, like a piece of bristle from the brush or a streak in it, that's all got nowhere to hide, even though you're going to sand it again lightly. But once that gloss resin, that finish coat, finish resin kicks off and hardens, then they'll come in and like wet They use a wet sanding like finer and finer grades of wet sanded you know wet sand, wet and dry paper and that's what we call a wet sanded gloss at that phase when they've gone through a couple different you know grit graduations of wet and dry paper you call it it's still a finish coat still a gloss coat but it has this one only goes to that matte finish that we call a wet sanded gloss to go beyond that you start getting into a, a polisher with a big buffing wheel with that you know, nice big, like wooly thing. And, and they use all these different polishing compounds, a finer and finer compound. And that buffs it out to that unreal showroom finish that we all like, you know, makes it look like an M&M. Um, but a wet Santa gloss and a polished gloss are have, are at the same phase. It's just one has a different finish. One goes to a buff thing. Polish. Yeah, it's total polish. Um, people ask about what's faster. Um, the jury's out on that.
0: What does that mean? Faster Fast in the speed, water? Speed, like with
1: less drag. Oh. Yeah, like a, a polished board or a sanded board. So I did some experiments myself when I was surfing a lot of bigger waves up the coast here on guns. And like I had some gloss polished boards that are beautiful, easy to clean, easy to clean all the salt zits off and maintain. And it felt slower. And then I sanded it with wet and dry sandpaper, but I sanded it all one direction. I didn't sand it in circles and it definitely helped. Interesting. And in, in I've read in the, like the, the 12 meter yachts that their fastest thing was like super high buff polish, but they're a displacement hole, we're a planing hole. Okay. So I think that the sanded finish is faster, but I think the, the one caveat on that is it needs to, it can't be in circles. Right. I think it needs to be all sanded one direction. And then you have like lots of little mini channels and it kind of does something with the boundary sure. layer and all that stuff that you know with all the different you know components of drag
0: it's fascinating so there's three finishes
1: yeah to choose from well there's there's other ones too but yeah just to confuse it but the three main ones are the sanded hot coat the wet sanded gloss or the polished gloss sometimes people will do a polished hot coat they'll polish just the hot coat it doesn't saves money and it still has a shiny look and then there's some other finishes these spray like uh these these like acrylic finishes that people will put on boards too hmm. um, that's probably that's not really an industry standard at least not for the boutique custom industry um, they need to simplify those names it's too confusing it's easy but it's 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 all acronyms for us so when you when i when i send an order sheet to the glasser and it's just a sanded hot coat, it just says shc okay pg is polished gloss wsg is wet sanded gloss so it's easy for us it's just it's hard to like you get a lot of customers that come and are kind of confused about all those things
0: absolutely yeah uh so can you kind of give me a timeline of how long let's start with sanding how long does it take to sand a six-foot shortboard? How long does it take to sand? Oh, it depends on I mean, I mean, some guys could do board. it.
1: Some guys would do it pretty fast.
0: Like how fast is fast? Oh,
1: man, probably like half an hour or something okay. like that. And some guys more, but then some guys would machine it, and they might there might be a shop grom or someone else in another phase that does the rail sanding, too. Well, like, that's I mean, it sounds it's all it's all broken up. It, it sounds
0: unbelievably uh, time-consuming.
1: The, you, know the time, you know where the time—you know where the time-consuming is—is the—is the—is the, the finish coat, polishing, gloss polish. Because I remember uh, Greg March telling me a number of years ago they had somebody like you were telling me about earlier about doing efficiency assays and QuickBooks and the economic studies on where all your money's going when you're making surfboards. And he said that he had somebody that was managing his shop and found that they are wasting a lot of time and not getting paid for the. Glossing and polishing of surfboards because it took a long time. It takes a couple hours. Doesn't and they really... weren't charging for that. Yeah. I mean, it's very, that's probably one of the more labor intensive things on the, the board. And a lot of glassers, glass shops will, they charge you more for it, but sometimes it's an afterthought. I mean, it should be a lot of money. Right. I mean, I don't want to name a sum, but usually there, I mean, it can be from 50 to 80 to a hundred dollars more, depending on the board. In part four, we'll break down the economics
0: of surfboard manufacturing. What are the raw materials costs? What is the labor cost? If the Sanders job is so important, how much do they make? Again, there's plenty of misinformation out there, and certainly in regard to profitability. So look forward to that next week and I'll close out this episode in a minute with Fletch but before I do I just wanted to remind you that everything we discussed in this episode as well as in parts one and two of this series is all available on surfsplendorpodcast.com I have images of Parmenor and Fletch and of course images of their work I hope that you're already in communication with Dave and ordering a surfboard his website is nowtro.com NOWTRO.com. Thank you to those who have supported this show on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. You are entered to win the Channel Islands Rocket Wide Built in Spine Tech. If you haven't yet gotten in on that, you still have time. All donors in the month of October will be entered to win. One entry per person regardless of how many donations you send this month and regardless of size. The winner will only be responsible for shipping expense. Thank you. I'll be back next Wednesday with a final episode of On Boards with Dave Parmenter. Until then, here are some closing sentiments from Fletch of the Santa Cruz Board Builders Guild. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Whose work do you admire? You know, I, I don't know if you're on Instagram or the internet much, or how, how much exposure do you have to other laminators around the world?
2: Not much, really. I mean... If I go to a trade show, I see some really nice-looking boards. You know, sometimes I, everybody tries to do their best work. You know, yeah. for those things. But um, yeah, I'm not not really too connected. You know, I mean, with with that. So, yeah, it's just mostly, you know, people in town. Um, before there was a few more glass shops. You know, and, and quality was a big deal. You know, and there's hardly any of us left. You know, the guy. The guy that laminated it uh, was Mike Wash, and he's passed away too. And uh, he taught me tons, you know, about color and stuff. And, and uh, they're just, they're they're dying off, you know, for sure. Tony Micus was another guy in town, and he's gone too now. And it's just, there's not that many many people left, and, and not that many people that want to learn it.
0: Right. So, Why did you want to learn it? Why,
2: just, I mean. I mean, I walked into my, My buddy's mom took us around to surf shops in the early 60s to look for a a board, you know? And I don't know, that smell of polyester, you know? It's just like, people come in all the time, go, oh, I love that smell. And I go, man, I love that smell too, you know? So I, I love coming to work. I'm 69, gonna be 69, and I love coming to work every day. Why specifically laminating? Why didn't you want to do um, it? wasn't necessarily. It just okay. ended up that way. Okay. I mean, I just wanted to build boards. So yeah. I didn't really care. I wanted to do it I'd do it all. So, yeah, I sanded for 16 years, you know, without. So, yeah, it's just, just what I wanted. I was kind of, like, born to do it, I guess, or something. I don't know. But Why do you think shapers get all the acclaim? I don't know. I mean, because just for the reason people don't realize, just what you're doing now, you know, it's like, Explaining the, what goes on, you know, in the process and stuff. That there's a, a lot more to it, for sure. But they actually do the design that makes the board go good or not or, or whatever. So yeah, the designers. I mean, that's that's important. You know, we can we can make them last longer, you know, or we can wreck <laughs> wreck the shape. Sure. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's important, you know. And I think a lot of people are more interested in just in the what it looks like rather than you know and that's kind of what we come in you know to it is we make it super cool looking you know that's a lot of people that's all they care about you know right you know they may don't surf enough to know the difference you know and they just like what they like to like to look at so
0: i think another reason the shapers get a lot of the acclaim is because they put their laminate on it you know that's the name that people see yeah why don't glassing houses do that more frequently i've seen it occasionally
2: yeah do I mean you, we do ha- do we have a-, a laminate, you know, and uh I don't know I don't always use it it's it's kind of like if I was trying to build the business, you know I might be more more inclined to do that, but we can't really almost can't do more than what we're doing you know so and it's a whole other thing to to deal with you know I'm pretty much dealing with laminating and running the business you know and working with the employees and it's just if I had to go out and try to drum up work, I'd need I'd another me. You know? I know.
0: <laughs> so That's what I was asking Travis a lot about <laughs> is just how do you manage growth, you know? Yeah. Like, how do you keep up with the invoicing? How do you keep up with, like, returning emails to customers? Just all of this minutia.
2: Oh, yeah. it's You know, and that, when you're doing that with your own label, that's probably... 10 times more than I would have to deal with just being kind of behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. I just have to deal with each individual shaper, you know, they got all those customers, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's I, I don't know how, I don't know how they would ever have like ran a sh a business shaping, glassing, you know, all yeah. in house is like, wow. You know, it's pretty, a lot to do.
0: Well, consider this. Um, you heard me ask Greg, like, what can you tell a listener so that they can walk into a retail store, see two boards on the rack, and identify one glass job as being better? And the reality is there's not an answer to it because, no. like you said, once it's finished, you can't tell. Right. So that's where that laminate comes in. That's right. where that laminate is an indicator exactly. of quality. Yep. It's it's not for you to grow your business necessarily. I mean, for somebody else who wants to grow their business, right. it is. yeah. But it's more of a favor to the end user mm-hmm. to just identify that this means quality,
2: right? You know. Yep, that's true. So consider that. I mean, there are a few things, like I said, you, you can look and see on a board. You know, you can see air bubbles or whatever. You know, but yeah, basically, you're kind of you're buying that brand. You know, they're yeah. they're quality. You know, quality assured. You know.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So.